to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I want to read just the first few verses for you as we look to verses 1 to 5. Corinthians chapter 14, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible translation. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who prophesies in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands. But in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. Greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. Then I do not know the meaning of the language I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. May God bless the reading of his word. We'll stop there and then we'll look to the other verses as we launch forward in this particular chapter. What Paul proclaims in uh, chapter 14, in this specific chapter, he is dealing with the superiority of prophecy, the superiority of prophecy. And he wants the Corinthians to understand that it's superior compared to something uh, else. Specifically, he first wants them to pursue love. And this is tied to the particular chapter before where he defines love. He explains what love is. He explains what love is not. He explains how to employ love in the use of the gifts. But most importantly, Paul's point is to pursue love. He wants the church to pursue love. He wants the church to define love, but he wants the church to pursue love. But in that pursuit, he wants us to understand what the gifts are. How are they distinct? How do they cooperate with one another? How do they function in the lives of the church and in the lives of the believers who fellowship together? He doesn't want them to simply pursue love for one another in theory. A good many of people are good about pursuing love in theory today. By that I mean love without action, because love is action. If you love somebody, especially in the context of Christian fellowship, you act on their behalf. And you act in concert with what God's will is and what God has said. He did not want them to simply say they loved one another. He didn't want them to simply say they want to, they love one another. But... To through the practice of the gifts, he wanted them in this chapter to establish and demonstrate their love for one another, 
to establish their, their love for one another, and then to demonstrate their love for one another. His call to earnestly desire spiritual gifts was not apart from love. I want you to understand that. His call to earnestly desire spiritual gifts was not apart from love, but rather it was an expression of love, a love that is defined in the previous chapter. It was for the Christians to say, since I love you, I'm going to employ my gifts that the Lord has given me on his behalf through me to you. That means that we know what the gifts are. That means that we know what gifts we're practicing and we know what gifts we're not to practice. We know what gifts uh, not only are that we are to practice, but we know which ones are sanctioned by a particular time frame. We cannot claim to love people and practice the spiritual gifts the wrong way or not practice them at all. So his call to earnestly desire spiritual gifts was inclusive of a biblical love. But for them specifically, because Paul was very specific with the Corinthians, if you remember the overarching context of what we're looking at is the fact that there are factions that have raged throughout this particular epistle. And as we look ahead into Second Corinthians just a little bit, you'll see that those factions actually get worse. And even despite Paul's attempts by the Spirit to push back against them, they essentially do not realize the things that Paul calls them to. Because they allow for super apostles to come in. They allow for false teaching to encroach. They allow for Paul himself and his credibility to be questioned. And so Paul here wants them to desire specific things. He's very specific with them. Just as the Holy Spirit is very specific pertaining to not only this epistle, but everything in Scripture. But as we look at this context in this epistle, the Holy Spirit is very specific about defining what things are, defining what the gifts are, defining what love is, defining what the Lord's Supper is, defining what head coverings are in their context, and so on and so on. He wanted them to desire a specific spiritual gift over and against one that was being pursued the wrong way. It was not good enough that they desired gifts as a general principle. He didn't simply say desire gifts, you all figure it out. Paul rated the gifts. Listen to this. He rated the gifts in comparison to one another based on two factors. Based on two factors. He rated the gifts based on these two. The first one is, and I'll repeat these. The first one is the edifying value of the gift. That's the first one. The edifying value of the gift. That means the gift's innate ability to build us up and for us to build one another up in the gift. So the edifying value of the gift. That was how he rated the gifts over and against each other because he does compare them. The second one is the believer's motive for the gift. The believer's motive for the gift. Why do we do what we do? Why do we practice the gifts? Why are we pursuing the gifts? Why are they operative? So I'll repeat those for you. He rates the gifts in comparison to one another based on two factors. The edifying value of the gift, meaning its value to build us up, and the believer's motive for the gift. Along these lines, then, Paul compared speaking in tongues and prophecy. 
He compared those two things. He believed it was superior to practice the gift of prophecy because it was coherent. It was coherent in its speaking aspect. It was coherent in its hearing aspect. That brings us to what he says in verses 1 and 2. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But here's the specific. This isn't in contrast. This is him providing an emphasis. But especially that you may prophesy. So I want you to desire the gifts, but I want you to desire this one over and against the other gifts that you're desiring and pursuing. Look at verse 2. It gets into what we're discussing so far. For one who speaks in a tongue. So now you know he's comparing something against something else. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands. There's your edifying value. If I'm practicing a gift such as languages and there is no interpreter and I'm just showing off and no one understands what I'm saying, it hasn't built anybody up. No one understands. The goal is for people to understand what you're saying. But look at this. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Paul is interested in verse two in the speaking gift only as it is interpreted or even spoken in the hearing of others who may receive the interpretation. I'm going to repeat that. Paul is interested in the speaking gift only as it is interpreted or even spoken in the hearing of others who may receive the interpretation. Then the interpretation of the language is edifying for those who hear the language. So when you hear what is said in a tongue that is not your own and you hear it spoken, it does nothing until it's interpreted for the person who's to receive the gift. And then when that language is interpreted and you hear it, now you are built up in your spirit. It was never enough to simply speak in another language because that would only be heard by God himself. So now Paul goes to the true nature of what is known as tongue speaking or languages. It was never enough to simply speak in another language because that would only be heard by God himself. God did not grant the gifts to the church so that they could be practiced in isolation. It's why he says, I don't want you just to speak in another language. I want it to be interpreted. In the absence of interpretation, O Corinthians, I want you to prophesy. Because in prophecy, you're speaking in the mother tongue or the mother language or the first language of the people. And so the gifts are not given by the Holy Spirit to be practiced in isolation. You can tie the gifts to what we've defined already in chapter 13. Verses 3 to 13 concerning love. You can look at them and compare the gifts themselves as Paul begins to define all that they are. And not only define them based on what will succeed this text, but how love is defined. If you're practicing speaking in languages as a gift and nobody is interpreting the languages, how are you loving the person upon whom the gift is bestowed? 
How are you demonstrating a love that is patient, a love that is kind, a love that is not arrogant? If people can't understand what you're saying, how can you demonstrate those things toward them? It is why he says to pursue love because of love's attributes. And he's already defined their attributes. He doesn't say pursue love, forget the gifts. He doesn't say pursue love and redefine the gifts. He says pursue love. Here is what the gifts are and here are how those gifts are practiced. The practice of the gift always, 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 when you think about spiritual gifts, and we talked about this a few sermons ago, the practice of the gifts always included building up one another through the proper use of the gift. That's always included in the gift. That's woven together in this tapestry of practice and of communication. That there was always the motive and desire and outcome, we hope, for the gifts to be practiced in such a way where they build up one another. So then some might contend, well, how come we don't see tongues in the church today? Well, I would ask the question that for its purpose, it has to be interpreted. For its intent and purpose, it's a sign for unbelievers. And so as we look ahead to those things, Paul is going to define what those actual things mean. But the point is not to simply ask and debate about each individual gift. It's to determine which ones are operative so that we can build one another up to the highest value. That is, as we are esteemed by Christ in his finished work on the cross. But for this reason, because the gift always included building up one another through the proper use of the gift in this time in which we find ourselves looking at the context of the Corinthian church. Prophecy was deemed superior to the gift of languages on its own. The gift of prophecy did not need the gift of interpretation. The gift of languages needed the gift of interpretation. So Paul is simply saying one needs a companion to drive it forward so that it may build up the believer to the highest value. The other being prophecy did not need a companion gift that that was practiced with it. Now, certainly the gift of discernment is evident. But speaking from my mouth to your ears, if I were in this time frame, historically speaking and prophesying in this time frame, then you would hear the prophecy and be able to negate through prophets who are among you, negate whether it's true or false or agree with whether it's true. And if it's false, then you cast out the prophet and the prophecy. We'll get to that soon, because what he says later on concerning prophecy is that that's a gift that's sanctioned by prophets who are present among the people who are prophesying. That ought to tell you if the gift continues or not. So for the one who speaks in the tongue, he says, does not speak to men, but to God. Now, I know that perhaps you may have heard this uh, misinterpreted. You may have heard this misinterpreted. I know I have. I've, I've heard this misinterpreted in many contexts where people believe that that statement is 
the highest value of the gift. But that's not true. You actually have to flip that around. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Well, what is the purpose of the gift? Is the purpose of the gift to build God up? In a sense, indirectly. But the purpose of the gift more so is to build one another up. So if you're simply speaking to God, you're not practicing the gift the right way. You need to be speaking to men and have men here, men and women here, and there be an interpretation. And then now they're built up by the interpretation and God sees all things. The point he's making is, in this sense, tongues without an interpreter is simply prayer. It's simply prayer. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. He's speaking in this way. This is not separating the gift of languages as though it were possible to speak to God in a language or to speak to men in a language. Instead, hear what Paul is saying by the Holy Spirit. He's saying to the Corinthians is that in the absence of an interpreter, the gift of languages are useless to build up those who hear if they are unable to understand. The speaker is speaking things that are known. But in his own spirit, he's speaking mysteries to God. Well, why? Because nothing is being interpreted. No one is receiving the value of what he's saying. God knows. But it's not like God becomes more perfect or knowledgeable because you've spoken to him in a language that hasn't been interpreted. He knows all things. You can't add to his omniscience. You can't add to his omnipotence. So here, what Paul is concerned with is that the one and others are built up in the truest sense. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Oh, well, that's best case scenario. No, read on. For no one understands. No one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. He's making a comparison as to why in this context prophecy is superior. Look at verse 3. Now he's contrasting, but one who prophesies, this is why the gift is superior, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, to build them up, for exhortation, to encourage them, and consolation. That's simply the idea of to bring, uh, uh, to bring uh, relief, the idea to console someone. Sometimes grief is present. And so he says, for that reason, prophecy is superior to tongues. In the absence of an interpreter, the languages are useless to build up those who hear if they are unable to understand. The fact that the speaker is speaking in his own spirit mysteries, this is not a positive. It's a negative result. As we look to prophecy, as we just did, it's rated as superior for three reasons. You see him there. The one who prophesies, actually four reasons. Listen to this. Four reasons. The one who prophesies speaks to men. So he's speaking to other people. Already we're practicing gifts in the context of fellowship. When you're speaking to other people, now they're being built up. But then it's the how and the why 
of the speech. The other reasons are because it's for edification. It's for exhortation. It's for consolation. Understand that as tongues being a sign for unbelievers, you're not there to exhort them. You're not there to console them. You're not really there to build them up, so to speak. The gift is there to pronounce judgment. And in judgment, the gift of grace and mercy is available through Christ for them to repent of their sins and trust in him and his righteousness alone and thereby be gathered into his church. And then they receive the benefit of the gifts. You see where Paul is going? He puts a premium on fellowship over the context of unbelievers. I think that throws an entire movement, so-called church for the unchurched. I think it throws it all out of the window. Because for Paul, the most superior thing is to actually win people who are in your midst first. He wants them to hear and be built up. Why? Because then they're sent out. And then they win people. So he's not saying that tongues are useless. He's saying compared to prophecy, tongues are only useful if interpreted. So there's building up. There's encouragement. There's relief. There's consolation to put one at ease to those who need it. And all of that was inherent in prophecy. Then Paul is interested in those effects upon the hearer related to prophecy. He's interested in the effects upon the hearer. He's not simply interested, and you see this even with Paul related to preaching. And you see it in Christ. He is the perfect God-man. They're not simply interested that things are said. They're interested on how things are said and how they impact the people who hear. That is of vital importance to Paul. He's interested that one is edified by the use of the gifts. He doesn't say just practice the gifts. Just look like you're practicing the gifts. He doesn't say debate the gifts. He says practice them this way. Know what they are and practice them this way. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Console one another. It is to bring encouragement, relief, and consolation. It is to speak to others. That's what this gift entailed. He's also interested that believers should then aspire to the gift for those very reasons. Now, gifts have their time stamp. Gifts have their, in a sense, expiration date. And some of them will be, or at least one of them will be reinstated. But also, I want you to realize that any gift that's operative in the life of the church today ought to be pursued the same way. It ought to be pursued with a motive to build your fellow believers up. It ought to be pursued with a view to encourage, console. It ought to be to see them grow in the, in the highest way that they possibly can to be like Christ, to grow in holiness. You know, I think about even, it's not here, but even the teaching gift shows up later in Paul's writings. And how many have such a cavalier approach to teaching God's word? That when they stand before people, this isn't their motive. 
Their motive isn't to build people up. Their motive isn't to console, to encourage. Their motive is to wax eloquent, show you how wise they are in their own minds. Their motive is to impress you, to use words to make you feel like they are the wisest, and without them you have no salvation. But that gift, even even, even uh, within itself, I think about it, it ought to be approached in the same manner. It ought to be approached for the purpose of bringing relief where relief needs to be brought. Bringing stern encouragement where it needs to be brought. Building up the whole person where it needs to be brought. So I do believe that the thing that we are to pursue love is still very much something we ought to pursue. And whatever the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you, not only do we need it, we need you and we need it to be practiced in the right way. We need you to have a heart as you practice whatever gift the Lord has given you, whatever spiritual gift you have. And you know what that gift is. But whatever the gift or gifts that were given to you, you have to practice them with a heart to build up. With a heart to encourage. With a heart to bring consolation where need be. Because then you see, that is how the life of the church functions and flows together into the head who is Christ. That is how you destroy factions, or I would even say how you stop factions from forming in the first place. We have that vantage point. Paul is interested on the effects. I think we ought to be interested in the effects of our gifts, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to us. How do they impact those who receive the gifts? Languages, then, verse 4, were inferior to prophecy because to speak the language without someone who possessed the gift of interpretation would only build up the one who is speaking. And listen, no gift is sanctioned for that purpose. There is no gift in the life of the church which has for it the purpose of simply building up the one who's practicing it. That is a gift practiced the wrong way. I'll go back to teaching. If someone is teaching and they only mean to build themselves up through their teaching, they're not practicing the gift the right way. They have selfish motives. The gift won't be effective. It's also why you hear people start to berate people. And it starts with them. They're using so-called gifts in a very selfish way. And then they're frustrated that people aren't responding. But you see here. That its inferiority is not because it's useless. I want to keep that before you. It's because it needs the gift of interpretation. So glad Paul mentions this because so much of the contemporary view of tongues and what tongues is. It's gotten lost. It really has gotten lost in how simple Paul has for us explained this even to the Corinthians. We'll read it together. Look at what he says. One who speaks in the tongue edifies himself. Notice what's absent there. What's absent? Interpretation. One who speaks in the tongue edifies himself. You have a whole movement. I'm not picking on the charismatics, but they certainly practice it the wrong way. You have a whole movement who sits there and 
They practice idle babbling to themselves, thinking that has some spiritual value. It's very deceptive. Thinking that has some spiritual value to build them up and to launch them forward in whatever objective they have. And even reckless babbling, which cannot be interpreted because it doesn't have a language structure, but it also isn't being interpreted because nobody understands what's being said. But you have that taking place, and that simply leads to factions. Because people feel like, well, if I look like this when I'm doing this, or if I speak like this when I'm doing this, then I'm holier than you. Well, already the competition aspect of that particular false practice of a true gift takes away from the very purpose of the gift itself. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Again, that's not a positive. That's a negative. It's a negative. So many have defined this as a positive. I'm just building up myself. I speak in my private prayer language. No. There's no such thing as a private prayer language. A private prayer language would be in the language of your mother tongue. You're praying. It's private. It's between you and God. It's not that the language changes. It's that the setting changes. Whatever your mother tongue is, I'm praying to the Lord my God so that he may reward me openly before others because I've diligently sought him privately. And so you see, look what he compares it to. But one who prophesies edifies the church. See what's in view? He wants the church to be built up. And the quickest way to do that in this particular historical setting where that gift was still operative because you still had prophets in the church sanctioning the gift. That's the reason it was operative and that's the reason that it is, as you can see today, it's not operative because we don't have active prophets in the life of the church at the moment. Yeah, people call themselves prophets, but that doesn't mean that they're prophets. People can call themselves whatever they want. But here you see that related to prophecy, related to prophecy, what Paul is interested in is the building up of the church, that the church is edified. It's not a positive result for simply the individual to be built up because the very purpose of the gifts is to bring edification to those who receive the gifts. So then to practice the gifts for the benefit of self as the end motive and end goal would be to misuse the gifts. And you know what that sounds like when you practice something for your purpose? Sounds like factions. It sounds like factious thinking. When I'm doing what I want to practice something for my benefit to the exclusion of you, that's called a faction. The contrast is plain in verse 4. You see him compare it. He says, I don't want you to go the way of factions. Stop practicing the gift of languages without someone interpreting. You're not building anybody up. Nobody's hearing what you say. And he'll say that explicitly. Look at verse 11. We'll peek ahead after he defines what language actually is. But verse 11, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, 
I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. We'll get into this next time. And the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. That's not best case scenario. That's worst case scenario. Nobody understands. We all think that we're speaking an uncultivated language that somehow needs to be decoded or can't be understood. I don't see anywhere in the word of God where, and I mean, think about this. We believe in the perspicuity of scripture. That is to say that it is clear by the Holy Spirit. It can be understood. Therefore, it can be followed. If that is the case, I see nowhere in scripture where God sanctions incoherence. There's nowhere where God says it's okay to just babble out of your mind. It's okay for us not to understand each other. Nowhere in scripture does it say that. It's why I believe Paul spends so much time trying to define this. Not simply because of mystery cults in secular society. No, because they were trying to do this in the life of the church to appear to be more holy. But I think this also serves as a warning related to other gifts and related to any time you speak to people in the context of the life of the church. Why? Because our goal is to edify. It is to exhort. It is to bring consolation. You're not to speak over people's heads. You're not to speak in such a way so as that they're impressed with you and they have no idea why they're impressed with you. That's the philosophers. But if you're trying to really reach God's people and build them up, what you say and do will be very clear and clearly marked by Scripture. And it will be clear to them in their minds and in their hearts. There will be a great clarity that binds us together in fellowship. I'm not saying there will always be agreement at every turn. But our agreement will come in the word of God and then there'll be great clarity. We're not misunderstanding. We're not speaking in languages that are not languages at all. We're not boasting in our ability to not be understood. You see that there is a better way. Instead of seeking to edify oneself, one must seek to edify the church. Paul says in this context, prophecy does this. I believe that although prophecy has certainly been fulfilled in the context of its use in the life of the church, I believe there are other ways that that takes place today. I believe through the gift of encouragement. I believe through the gifts of giving. I believe through the gift of teaching. And there's so many others I can go through that accomplish the very things that prophecy accomplished and has since been fulfilled. Paul does not say that no one should desire to speak in languages. Look at verse five. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. But even more that you would prophesy, I rather you want to do this. And he's speaking historically and specifically to those in Corinth. We can't import ourselves into this understanding without understanding why and to whom is he saying what he's saying? But even more that you prophesy, greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. There is no instruction to create prophets. There's no instruction to create what prophecy is and redefine it. We know that prophets spoke on behalf of God as his mouthpiece. They were God's prosecuting attorneys. 
We know in the New Testament church, it was very similar. But we also recognize that scripture has now taken that place. That scripture is full of what the prophets have spoken. He wanted all the Corinthians to speak in languages, but even more that he wanted them all to prophesy. He wanted them all to prophesy. Speak clearly. He wished it were possible in both cases, but he wished more believers prophesied than those who spoke in languages. Instead of a barrage of people speaking in languages that needed to be interpreted, therefore a barrage of people who needed the gift of interpretation, he said, I'd rather have everyone prophesy. Then Paul is clear. Proper use of the gifts are the only way to use the gifts. Proper use of the gifts are the only way to use the gifts. For languages, they must be accompanied by an interpreter. They must be accompanied, must always. I'll say it that way. They must always be accompanied by an interpreter. I think that's clear. Then and only then is it edifying to the church. So you can't babble and make stuff up. You can't speak in a language that you otherwise know as your mother language and claim that that's supernatural and someone interprets it. That's just language interpretation. This is to supernaturally be endowed with a language you had no prior knowledge in and to speak forth the mysteries of God's word and for the one to interpret had no prior dwelling in that language and is able to interpret not only word for word, but accurate, perfect content. And then you build up the church. So you see how the gift of languages, the expectation is actually raised from what we see in the so-called Pentecostal movement and the so-called word of faith movement and all the charismatics and those who are so-called conservative, modern evangelicals who want the gift to reemerge, but they don't even define it the way that Paul does. Because even Paul says, while the gift was still evident, he says, I'd rather you prophesy. I'd rather you bring prophecy forward. Because that's sanctioned and checked by the prophets. We'll see that as we launch forward in the text. For the one who prophesies, it's tied to speaking and hearing what is said. This is why it's superior in Paul's uh, argument to the Corinthians. For the one who prophesied, it is tied to speaking and hearing what is said without the necessity of translating from one spoken language to the next. It doesn't need to be translated. You can see this just in conversational communication. The most effective way to speak with one another is without translation. We simply are having a conversation. There's no delay. We don't have to wait to hear what is said. We don't have to figure out how to put the words together in the first language that needs to be interpreted. Therefore, the church is edified and built up by what is said directly. I close by saying this. As you consider it, what I'm not saying is that tongues was and is useless. It has served its purpose. But what I'm also saying is that prophecy was at that time superior. What I'm not saying is that with both, you get to just make it up. I'm not saying you can make up what prophecy is and call yourself a prophet today. I'm not saying you can make up what languages or tongues is and call yourself 
one who speaks in tongues today. Things are sanctioned by the word of God. They're sanctioned by the word of God. As the apostles have passed on, as the New Testament prophets have passed on, you now have a closed canon of scripture that governs every aspect of our understanding. Every aspect of our understanding. As Paul launches forward into the value of the gift of tongues, because he does want to speak about the value of it, I leave you with this thought. It's one that has helped me really understand this, and I hope that it will help you. You know, as I was departing from the charismatic movement, and I remember coming to this chapter and just wanting clarity on what is tongues? What are they? And I didn't want sound bites. I wanted the word of God to speak for itself. This helped me greatly. I want you to see this. Look at verse 10. There are perhaps a great many kind of languages in the world. And no kind is without meaning. No kind is without meaning. I pray that that will be an encouragement as we launch forward to the verses ahead. Let's pray.